Well, I don't know how many sermons you've heard on a genealogy, (laughs) but there are a lot of genealogies in Scripture. And, uh, you know, we tend when we're reading Scripture to kind of glaze over them, maybe skip them. I'll confess I'm reading through the Bible right now. And anytime I hit a genealogy, I just either skim it or, or skip it. So you're forgiven if you do that every once in a while. But uh, um, I'm, uh, this particular text that we come to today, even though it's a genealogy, even though it's got tough names to say in it, uh, even though it is uh, often glazed over, to me, this genealogy that we come to today in Genesis chapter 4 and then in Genesis chapter 5 is the most important genealogy that you find in scripture outside of Matthew chapter 2 and Luke chapter 1 because this genealogy has a message in it. It's not just a recording of names. In fact, uh, the names are put together in such a way that they are meant even in the names that are given to kind of tell us something, be a clue to something as we read them. And so we're going to look at Genesis chapter Four. Uh, we're going to look at verses 19 through the end of that chapter. And then we're going to look at uh, Genesis chapter 5, verse 18 through um, 24, I believe. 20, yeah, 24. As we consider these two competing genealogies that we find in the first few chapters of Genesis. And just as a way of reminder, where we've been so far as we've gone, we're working our way chapter by chapter through Genesis, is we've seen that God, when He created the world, He created it orderly, He created it by the proclamation of His Word, and He created it all good. And the pinnacle of that creation was the creation of man. And He declared that man was created in His image. And that image brought with it an authority, the authority to rule and to reign as God's king and queen over all of creation. And then we find as we progress to Genesis chapter 3, we find that there's a deviant snake that appears out of nowhere on the scene. And this deviant snake invites or calls Eve and Adam to... Uh, doubt the Word of God, to doubt the promises of God, and to find their, their path, to find their direction, to find their source of knowledge and their source of life in something else besides God. And ultimately to find that source of knowledge and that source of life in Himself, in the snake. And as a result of that decision to find their source of life and their source of wisdom in the snake, Adam and Eve plunge all of humanity into sin. And then we find in chapter 4, as we talked about last time we met, that Cain and Abel, Cain is this great hope of Eve, that he would be the man that would crush the head of the serpent, the promise that God had made in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that there would come a seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. And Eve says in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. She has this hope that this child will be the one who will crush the head of the serpent. And then we know the story, right? We know Cain's not that guy. 
Cain is the furthest from that guy. He is the one who is rather a prototype of every sinner that would come after him. He rebels against God. He doesn't listen to the counsel of God. And he doesn't master sin as he should. And he falls and fails and kills his brother. And God curses Cain and sends him out away from his presence to the land of Nod, east of Eden. So that's where we left off last time. And I can't say that it's going to get much brighter <laughs> uh, in the, on this gloomy day as we study the next few examples of this uh, genealogy of Cain. But as we study, there is great hope even in the midst of the curse of Adam and Eve. Um, and we're going to read Genesis chapter 4 starting in verse 19 and then Genesis 5 starting in verse 18 to see this this uh, contrast between two different lines that come out of Adam. So we'll read this text together and then I'll pray and we'll get into the sermon in earnest. Genesis chapter 4 starting in verse 19 it says, And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubalacane. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubalacain was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For he said, for she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. So Seth also, to Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And then over in chapter 5, verse 18 through 24. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God. After he, followed, after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that we are called to be dependent on you. Because you are the source of all life. Lord, we were created to be dependent on you. We were created in your image, in your likeness, to walk in your ways and to find our delight and our fulfillment in your word and in your ways. 
But yet, Lord, you uh, have uh, been uh, sinned against. You've been sinned against in the sin of Adam and Eve, and you've been sinned against in all of the sins that we commit, the sins that we commit daily. Father, we confess that we do not deserve to be in your presence. We confess that we have walked after the paths of this world, that we have chased after so many other things other than your word. But yet, Lord, you and your faithfulness and in your love, you have delivered us by the work of your son. Your son, Jesus, came and he walked in your ways perfectly, without blemish. And he died in our place so that when we trust in him and we walk after him, we are walking in your ways and we are delivered from the wrath that is to come. Father, forgive us of our sins. Allow your word to wash over us and purify us. Allow your word to create in us a desire to know and to follow you. Father, may we not be like Lamech. May we instead be like Enoch who walked with God and who was taken as a deliverance from the judgment that was to come. Bless us now as we study from your word. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So I'm not great with movie quotes. I have friends that, uh, one particular friend that can watch a movie one time and he's just snapping off uh, quotes right and left. And, and this particular friend is obsessed with a few little, a few movies that he just really knows back and uh, off the top of his head and knows well. And I, I kind of envy that at times, you know, because we'll be joking together and he'll quote a movie. And I know he's quoting a movie, but I can't quote the next line. And it's kind of embarrassing because I don't know it as well as he, he does. But there's one movie that I watched a long time ago when I was a teenager that really just stuck out to me as I watched it and and has stuck with me up until now. And it's not a great movie. It's actually not, not all that inspiring at all, not really all that engaging of a movie. But one particular scene in the movie stuck out to me, and it's, it's the movie City of Angels. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's a movie about this angel who falls in love with a human that uh, it's, it stars Nicolas Cage as the angel named Seth and Meg Ryan as the woman named Maggie, I believe is her name. Well, in the, he goes to, to uh, take Maggie to be uh, in heaven. She's about to die and he, he is attracted to her and he decides not to take her. And as a result, he falls in love with her. And he doesn't know what to do. He wants to be with her, but he can't because he's an angel. And so he goes to this fallen angel named Nathaniel. And uh, he talks to Nathaniel about the feelings that he's having and about how he can uh, be with Maggie. And Nathaniel, at one point during the conversation, uh, tells Seth that all he has to do is just fall. He just has to decide that he wants to be human And he will fall from heaven and he will be human. And he tells Seth at one point in that conversation, he, that being God, he gave these bozos the greatest gift in the universe. You think he didn't give it it to us too? Seth asks, which gift? And Nathaniel replies, free will, brother, free will. Now, The way Nathaniel describes free will is really the way we see it, as a gift. 
And really, we see free will as the ultimate gift, the ultimate good. People celebrate the fact that God made us autonomous. And the word autonomous literally means of your own law. Auto means self and nomos means law. And so it means the word autonomous means self-law. Our society particularly thinks that God ultimately created us so that he might serve us. And God really just wants us to be happy, to be healthy and to be wealthy. God wants so desperately for you to believe in him, for you to like him. And we think that God loves to see us exercise our free will, that that ultimately is the end goal of life. And the end goal of this whole story is that God might see us exercising our free will. But in reality, this free will that we admire so much is really just a cage. All we need to do is look at the world around us to see that really we aren't as free as we think we are. Our pursuit of freedom in our relationships leads us to deny the worth of another life. Just look at the recent debates surrounding abortion for any reason at any time in our country. Our pursuit of freedom in our emotions has led us to deny the very natural order of things. Just look at the utter confusion over gender and identity. I read an article yesterday that said that uh, teenagers today are 329% more likely than adults to question their, uh, their sexual identity. Something is desperately wrong with our freedom. Our pursuit of our rights and our resistance to marginalization leads us to marginalize and devalue other humans who are made in the image of God. Just look at the rise of the alt-right groups that are, are, um, are classified as hate groups and the terrible events of Charleston and Charlottesville. The truth is, we may think that we are free, but we are really slaves to sin. There is a very clear way that we can know that we really aren't free. And that is that we die. Now, we sure, we think that we can apply the right rules and we can implement the right government. And and, uh, you have people on both sides of the aisle that say, no, my way is right. And you have the others that say, no, my way is right. And if we just did it consistently one way or the other, then there would be no more hatred. There would be no more lying and there would be no more devaluing of human life. But no matter how hard we try and no matter what system of government we adopt, people still are hateful, people still are deceitful, and people are still murderous. We may think that gaining knowledge through science will finally deliver us from the curse of death and we'll be able to live forever, but in spite of over 300 years of scientific discovery and advancement, you, do you realize the maximum age has not changed at all? Have, uh, now, we like to quote the fact that the average death age has gone up, but that's just the average of how old people live. But people still don't live any more than 80 or 90 or 100 years, no more than they ever have in, in modern times. Running against the current of our modern view of freedom, we find that the Bible has a very different view 
of the matter. As we've already seen, the great choice that Adam and Eve had as they faced the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden was indeed a question of freedom. The question that Adam and Eve faced as they looked at this fruit and they looked at this serpent was a question of freedom. Will I trust in God? Will I rest in the life that He gives? And will I rest in the knowledge that He gives? Will I be satisfied with God? Or would I be free of it? Would I set myself free by eating this tree, uh, fruit of the knowledge of good and evil? And would I find life and wisdom on my own terms? Or would I have God and His wisdom in His, ter- in, in his terms? And the... Adam and Eve believed that they were gaining life and wisdom through this decision to follow the serpent. But what they received in the end was bondage and death. This truth is soberly reinforced in two different ways. We saw one way last week when Cain is told by God to master his own sin. But instead of mastering his own sin, he becomes the sin he is told to master. Jesus, uh, God tells him that sin is crouching at the door and its desire is to rule over you. In the very next verse, we find that Cain is crouching in the field, waiting on his brother to come by. And when he comes by, Cain rules over him by killing him. And the second way that we find that um, sin ha- is has had its effect on the human race and we, is in the genealogies that we just read. The, follow, the uh, genealogies that follow the, the story of Cain and Abel in chapter 4 and in chapter 5, they paint a picture that runs throughout them. There's a theme that runs throughout them. And, and it goes like this. You'll notice it's repeated over and over again. Person X fathers person Y. Person X then fathers other sons and daughters. And then person X dies. Seven different times with Cain's line. Ten different times with Seth's line. We are told he lived. He fathered children. And then he died. And yes, there's hope there. Because every generation has another generation So life goes on and there's hope. But even in that hope, we hear that generation after generation, sin ruled because every generation dies. As Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 14, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even though people didn't sin in the same way that Adam sinned. But death is not the only thing that reigned in the line of Adam. We find at the end of chapter 4 that the lineage of Cain also brought about a history of rebellion. The pinnacle of this rebellion is exemplified in the seventh from Cain, a man named Lamech. To understand where Moses is going with this, we need to remember the promise of God in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. In that promise, God says that he will put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. 
Cain was ruled by Satan. And Moses wants us to see that his descendants were ruled by Satan as well. And there is no greater example of that than Lamech. And there are three characteristics of this sinful line that I want you to recognize that are in this story of Lamech. So first, notice with me Genesis chapter 4 verse 19. The first thing we hear of Lamech is that Lamech took two wives. Now, We've been clipping along through all these different names and this guy fathered this guy and then he died and over and over again. And then we get to Lamech, who is the seventh in the line of Cain, and Moses pauses to tell us some things. And the first thing he tells us is that Lamech took two wives. Now that might not seem like a big detail other than we haven't heard of that so far. And not to mention the fact that This word take that it uses here in verse 19 is the same word that is used in Genesis chapter 2. In fact, the the only other time before this point that is used is in Genesis chapter 2 when it says that God took out of the side of Adam and from that side he formed Eve. There's an interesting thing that happens here. God, remember, gave to Adam his wife Eve. Eve was not somebody that Adam picked out of a lineup. Remember the story? God brings uh, the animals through and lets uh, Adam look at each one of them and ask, is this going to be the helper that you need? Is this going to be the helper that you need? And Adam can't find a helper that is suited for him. And then God puts Adam to sleep. Adam is helpless in the situation of receiving the helpmate that he needs. And then he takes from Adam's side and he makes a woman named Eve and he gives her to Adam. But Lamech, on the other hand, takes what he wants. He takes two wives uh, to make things even worse. And he distorts the marriage relationship. The first act that he does as the premier example of fallen humanity is that he takes and distorts the marriage relationship. He redefines it based on his own terms. The second thing that I want you to notice about Lamech is that Lamech devalues human life. Like his forefather Cain, Lamech frivolously murders a young man for striking him. Now, this is, this is a stark contrast in the language here. And I want you to notice this. First of all, Lamech is a grown man. He's married two women now, and he's already had several children. And he comes to his wives, and he tells them to write something down. You need to listen to me. You need to memorize what I'm about to tell you. And he tells them that he has killed a young man. Now, the word there that is used for young man It literally means adolescent boy. So this is a child that is in elementary school. This is a 12-year-old boy that Lamech has killed. And second, the actions that Lamech takes are are, the actions in this story are starkly different. The wound that Lamech suffered is little more than a bruise. Okay, it's the idea of this little boy slapped me, is what he's saying. And 
So I killed him. Now the word used there for killed is the idea of violent murder. He killed him brutally. So you see the picture here. A 12-year-old boy slaps Lamech in the face, bruises his cheek. And what does Lamech do? He violently kills the boy. And not just that, but he writes a song about it. You'll notice this is in poetic form. He writes a song about it. And then he tells his two wives to memorize this song. Lamech devalues human life in a way that we haven't seen even in Cain. And finally, the last thing that I want you to see about Lamech is that Lamech uses, religions for his, uses religion for his own ends, just like his forefather, the serpent. Just like the serpent took God's word in the garden and distorted it for his own ends, so too Lamech takes the gracious promise that God had given to Cain that he would protect him, and he distorts it and uses it for his own gain. Lamech was the first preacher of the prosperity gospel. He believed that God was useful for his own protection. He believed that God was just sitting around waiting to bless him, sitting around waiting for him to call down judgment on somebody, and that God would act. He believed that God existed for no other reason than to prosper him. And he believed that God would bless the one who just reached out and took. And so he calls down God's judgment on anybody that would have a second thought or the first thought about judging him. But even in his freedom, Lamech proves to be a seed of Satan. And the truth is, all of humanity is just like him, even the most religious. One time when Jesus was confronted by the religious leaders of his day, he tells them in John chapter 8, verse 44, You are of your father the devil, and your desire is to do his will. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, we find that Paul says that we all were children of Satan, walking after his ways before God graciously saved us. Lamech was not free. He was simply acting upon his, the desires of his heart, which were wicked and turned towards Satan. And we are not free either. If you are outside of Christ, you are a slave to sin, just like your forefather, Lamech. But, but lest we think that, we're, that all is lost and there is no hope, Moses decides to include a second genealogy in chapter 4. This, this second line begins with Adam through Seth. We find that uh, the story changes starting about verse 26. We find, I'm sorry, verse 25. We find that Adam knew his wife and she bore another son named Seth. And Seth has a son named uh, Enosh. And there's a note made about Enosh in verse 26. It says, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So there's a second line that comes out of Adam. And this second line ends with, or doesn't end, but it has its pinnacle with the seventh from Adam, whose name is Enoch. 
And Enoch gives us a direct contrast to the seventh from Cain, Lamech. And there are three characteristics about Enoch or about this line of Seth that I want you to notice that exemplify to us the life that is dependent on God. We have in Lamech the life that is free from God, living by our own terms, living by our own way. And we have in Enoch the life that is lived dependent on God. The first thing that I want you to notice is in verse four, uh, verse 26 of chapter 4 that Enoch, uh, Enosh starts a new path. Unlike the seed of the serpent, those who were the seed of promise seek God for their provision and for their blessing. They patiently wait on the Lord for His deliverance. They, as Moses puts it, they call upon the name of the Lord. Second thing I want you to notice is just like Lamech, Moses pauses to, to point out this seventh in the line of Seth, which is Enoch. And the most notable characteristic about Enoch's life is the one thing that's said over and over about him is that he walked with God. Now, this is the very reason that God created humanity. We find in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, that God came to humanity, came to Adam and Eve in the cool of the day so that He might walk with them. God created us so that He might walk in relationship with us. We also find in the Bible that the end goal of all of the laws of God is so that we might know how to walk with God. You Think about that famous passage, Micah chapter 6, verse 8, where it says, He has told you, O man... What is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So the last thing that you see in the characteristics of the man who is dependent on God is the one who lives dependent on God is ultimately delivered. Moses tells us that God chooses to bless Enoch by, quote, taking him up. It says that he was not because the Lord had taken him. As a result of this life of faith, God delivers Enoch from the judgment that was to come on the world in the flood. But even after Enoch, even as good as Enoch was, even as faithful as he was, people still sought to be free from God. We see that all too painfully in the next story that we'll talk about in Genesis, which is the story of the flood. We see it in the Tower of Babel as men sought to make a name for themselves. We see it in Egypt as they cruelly enslaved the people of Israel. And we see it ultimately in the empire of Babylon that destroyed the temple of God and took his people into captivity. And the problem isn't just a problem for the Gentile nations either. You know the story of Israel. You know that regardless of the fact that they had the law of God, regardless of the fact that they had the sacrifices of God, over and over again they were unfaithful to the God who was so gracious to them. But even while the nations rebelled, God promised that He would, he would bring a people together who would call Upon his name. He promises in Psalm chapter uh, Psalm 105 1 
that he would use the people of Israel to bring the nations to himself so that they might call upon his name. In Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 9, uh, God prophesies that he will change the speech of the nations that they might call upon his name. Then Jesus is born. And the first people who come to Jesus are people from the far east. Wise men who say in Luke chapter 2 verse 2 or Matthew chapter 2 verse 2 that they come to worship this new king that's been born. And not just that, but as Jesus starts his ministry, he doesn't start it in Jerusalem. He doesn't start it in the temple. He starts it in the furthest flung regions of Palestine. In lands where there were outcasts and Gentiles. Lands like the Decapolis and lands like Samaria. Jesus went to the people who were the furthest away from God and he called them to call upon the name of God. And so John says at the beginning of his gospel in John chapter 1 that the world didn't receive Jesus and even his own people didn't receive Jesus. But to all who did receive him, he gave the right to be called children of God. And after his death, his disciples would tell people that Jesus was the source of healing and the source of eternal life. Think about some stories you know from the book of Acts. Think about Acts chapter 3 verse 6 when Peter and John are walking into the temple and there's a man sitting there that's been crippled for all his life and he asks them to give him money and Peter says, Money I do not have, but what I do have I will give to you. And he says, In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. Then Peter gets arrested for that very thing and he goes to meet with the Sanhedrin, the rulers of the Jewish state. And and he's standing before these powerful men. And he says in Acts chapter 4 verse 12, There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved except the name of Jesus. Paul, in his letter to the, the church at Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, says that these people that he is writing to, these Gentiles that he is writing to, are saints, which means they are chosen ones, is what the name saint means, and that they are like everyone else who in every place calls upon the name of the Lord. You see, Jesus is the name that delivers us from the wrath of That is to come. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the true seed of the woman. Now, Enoch was faithful to walk with the Lord. He he was also uh, we also find in Jude chapter or Jude chapter one, verse 14, that part of that walking with the Lord was that Enoch went to the people of his day and he prophesied that God was going to bring Judgment on the world. And we find from some other writings that Enoch also prophesied about an elect one who would bring the nations into submission to God. But Jesus completed what Enoch could not. Enoch may have walked with God, but there was no way that Enoch could have brought all of humanity to God. 
Because as good as Enoch was, Enoch was still a sinner. Enoch may have prophesied against the sin of his generation, but he could not bring about the work of God in bringing that complete redemption and judgment that was to come. But 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, and, uh, 18 through 20 says, For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and also proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. You see, Jesus in his death has brought us to God. He has removed the curse of death which is upon us because of the sin of Adam and because of our own sin. Romans chapter 5 verse 17 says, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of the righteous reign in life uh, a free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And not only that, but Jesus has also made us a new humanity that is part of that seed of the woman that has come to crush the head of the serpent. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 and 11 says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives, even unto death. Friend, you may think you are free, but you are a slave. The, great, the greatest proof of that slavery is the death that is coming. You can't escape it. You might think you can. You might seek answers in medicine. You might seek answers in philosophy. You might seek answers in wisdom. But you cannot escape the death that is coming. The fact is you really can't, at the end of the day, even choose it. The only hope you have is not in yourself but in Christ who can deliver you from the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light. Brothers and sisters, the greatest gift that God has given us is not free will. Despite what the fallen angel Nathaniel in that movie might have said, the greatest gift that God has given us is himself. The way that we have eternal life is not through making right choices. It's not through getting our life right. It's not through uh, trying a little harder. It's not through applying some secular wisdom. The way that we gain eternal life is through trusting God in Jesus Christ. Calling upon His name and walking after Him. Brothers and sisters, that is what we are called to do. We are called to be like Enoch, one who trusts in the promises of God, 
one who walks after God, and one who declares the promises of God and the coming Messiah to a lost and dying world. May we be about that as we walk after our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are gracious and kind. You are good to us when we are so rebellious and uh, separated from you. Yet you love us and you bring us to yourself. Forgive us when we rebel against you. Forgive us of our sins and our trespasses. Bring us into right relationship with you that we might call upon you and that we might walk after you. Pray that you would bless us now as we end with this song of praise. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.